Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Eyes on Earth, a podcast produced at the USGS Eros Center, which celebrates its 50th anniversary this year. Our podcast focuses on our ever-changing planet and on the people at Eros and around the globe who use remote sensing to monitor the health of Earth. My name is Jane Lawson, and I'll be hosting today's episode, where we're talking about the legacy of land cover mapping at Eros in the first of two episodes about land cover. Eros set up the Land Cover Characterization Program in 1995 after years of using Advanced Very High Resolution Radiometer, or AVHRR, sensor data with one kilometer resolution to produce greenness maps and eventually a database of land cover characteristics. The Land Cover Characterization Program led to the first global land cover data set at one kilometer resolution and also to the more detailed 30-meter resolution National Land Cover Database, or NLCD, which has become the definitive U.S. land cover product. Our guest today is here to talk about early land cover work at Eros, where she helped create that first global land cover data set. Research geographer Jess Brown has worked at Eros for 33 years and currently serves as the project manager for the integration of NLCD and another Eros land cover project, Land Change Monitoring Assessment and Projection. Welcome, Jess, to Eyes on Earth. Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me. Let's start off by defining the term land cover. What exactly does that include? So land cover refers to a simplification of the land surface. It includes properties or characteristics of the Earth's surface. So it really is exactly what it says. It's what covers the land. Land cover includes describing the type and geographical patterns of features like vegetation, bare soil or rock, uh, developed surfaces like what you uh, get in urban situations, roads, that sort of thing, and agriculture. And what is the value of mapping land cover? So land cover as a map or a geographical construct, and really honestly what what we do here at Eros as a geospatial product. It's a uh, ingredient or a necessary input into many different types of studies. Studies like carbon modeling or uh, mesoscale climate modeling, hydrologic modeling. Because it's a simplification of the land surface, it's been used in so many uh, scientific studies that are necessary for us to understand how the how the world is constructed, what are the changes that human beings have made on the surface of the earth, how our natural communities, our natural landscapes are doing, the health of our nat- natural landscapes, and so on. So it's really a foundational product that helps others build on. Land cover is considered a higher order product as well that we make from inputs uh, remote sensing inputs like Landsat. So Landsat itself, the surface reflectance that, that we collect and, and process here at Eros is an ingredient from which we analyze and characterize these land cover types and turn into the these higher order geospatial products of land cover. Can you describe the early land cover mapping efforts at Eros from your perspective at the time? And did any innovations come out of these efforts? Oh, so that's a large question. As you said, I started at Eros in, in uh, over 30 years ago. 
uh, when I first got here, I was hired to work on a, a project with, uh, related to mapping land cover. Um, it was the first ever attempt to map the land cover of the United States at a one kilometer resolution. So what set this project apart was that the resolution was one kilometer. And at the time, which was 1990, 1991, somewhere in there, that was much higher uh, resolution than what mapped land cover was available at for our country. And I was fresh out of graduate school and uh, quite excited to start working on this. I was the only woman on the team working with a number of uh, really wonderful colleagues. But we started in 1991 and we published our data for the conterminous U.S. around 1993 and this launched a whole set of activities. Uh, USGS was collaborating at that time with um, a lot of different organizations and had, uh, under the leadership of Tom Loveland, had made connections to something called the International Geosphere Biosphere Program. Uh, this program that uh, was in existence from the late 1980s and actually wrapped up uh, in 2015, was involved and on the ground floor, really, uh, with a huge number of activities focused on global change. So the concern about our world changing drove the IGDP, or this International Geosphere Biosphere Program, to publish a report in 1990 that, that stated that existing global land cover uh, data were inadequate for the task at hand. Uh, which was understanding global change. And, and it also stated that land cover data are perhaps the most important and universally used terrestrial data set. So needed for uh, modeling agricultural production, mesoscale climate simulations, uh, determining land surface roughness for modeling many different kinds of things like wind energy resources or actually back to the, the climate modeling. They need uh, to understand surface characteristics like roughness and albedo. And a lot of those uh, have, are um, calculated based on the land cover type that's present. It was needed for modeling land cover change and degradation, understanding, you know, how deep deforestation and desertification are occurring across the world and, and the effects of that. Carbon cycle modeling, uh, hydrologic modeling, so that can include, you know, overland flow of water, uh, what what it's impacting, you know, flood risk and, and the like, and uh, modeling trace gas emissions. And these were all seen as things, in, including many other topics that were really critical to studying global change. The one kilometer conterminous UF, US effort grew into a global one kilometer effort utilizing many of the same techniques that were used for the first mapping of, of the United States at one kilometer, but, you know, expanding to global. So as big promises were made, um, and it was a, a, a huge amount of work, although you know, given what we're tackling today, um, I don't know if I'd say it was easier than we were, you know, pathfinding. We were, we were doing things that hadn't been done before. So there was a lot of experimentation, 
Um, we didn't have to work with quite the data density that we do now, the data, the data volumes and data densities that we have to work with in this day and age, much, much higher resolution data leads to, to very large data volumes. But back then we didn't have the, the compute power or the, the software, the infrastructure that we have today. So it was challenging to work on both those projects, the one kilometer conterminous US mapping and then the global one kilometer. But, um, I think the bar was perhaps lower than it is today. We have, uh, you know, the first time you do something, it's maybe, uh, you know, it's a learning process. So you accept some of the, the problems you learn as you go and then you try to improve on it. So I see those two efforts as being really foundational, certainly to many, many, uh, mapping efforts today. You know, a lot of the publications that our team published in the 1990s and the 2000s are still cited today. And, and because there are many, many, you know, countless activities mapping land cover today, too many to count. In that first project, the, the one kilometer land cover mapping of the United States, the conterminous U.S., we were funded to do that, at least in part, by the Environmental Protection Agency. And the EPA wanted to know more about sources for pollution. Specifically, it's referred to as non-point source pollution. So pollution that comes from water, generally speaking, water that drains off of agricultural lands. And with it brings transportation of other elements like fertilizer and pesticides. So EPA wanted to know that, but in order to model that, they needed to know where agricultural lands were located and how they were distributed across the country. So they funded USGS to do that. And the proposal for that was written before I came to work, and that funding brought me to Eros originally. And in 2000, the first Terra platform was was launched and established by by NASA. And aboard that platform was the MODIS instrument. And around 2000, MODIS started producing land cover at multiple resolutions, I believe 250 meter, 500 meter, and one kilometer as a regular part of their higher order products. So the MODIS instrument had many, many um, products created from the MODIS, uh, the basic MODIS surface reflectance data that was collected. And it was seen as as land cover was seen as one of those essential data sets that needed to be provided for people. I believe the frequency at that point after MODIS was launched was probably once every quarter, perhaps once every month. So it was a very, very frequently produced data set. And then another thing that grew out of the really at the same time uh, that grew out of the one kilometer conterminous U.S., mapping that was done with AVHRR was the National Land Cover Data Set. That was another outgrowth of the one kilometer mapping. So, you know, these early efforts um, were definitely pathfinders for activities that we're now still strongly involved in here at Eros. I'll also point out that Eros is the home of the MODIS data as well, which is archived and available to the public here. Would you like to give any examples of who might have benefited from these mapping efforts and how? When we surveyed our users in the 
the mid 1990s, we found that model modeling applications uh, represented about half of the uses. So models such as mesoscale climate simulations, modeling land cover change and degradation, carbon cycle modeling, hydrological modeling, all those things that I I mentioned before, about 15% of the users and uses reported employing the global land cover data for mapping. And some specific examples that we found were assembling an atlas on human demographics and the environment, Ecoregion mapping, so that concerns more sort of landscape characteristics from the source of, of uh, ecological uses and ecological benefits, and then mapping global biodiversity. And then another 15 or 13 percent use the land cover data for land management or conservation applications. And those included understanding forest reclamation after uh, disturbance and determining the effects of land use on ecosystems. So those were more related to probably human uses of the landscape. Education represented about 4% of the reported database usage. So, you know, people were making maps or or utilizing the the data to make three-dimensional visualization of the land surface for public education, they used it for validating paleoecological vegetation maps and predicting the, the consequences of power plant accidents and determining the critical loads of acid rain for vegetation. Now, acid rain, you know, was a, a global change concern back in the 1990s, but it's something that over time uh, was resolved when I believe coal power plants were required to, you know, clean their smokestacks better. So that's a success story. Looking back, I would certainly give Dr. Tom Loveland credit for for the USGS's role in these activities. In the 1990s, there were much fewer players in this arena of mapping land cover. And because of the the efforts of the, the conterminous U.S. land cover mapping at one kilometer, we had demonstrated that we could do this. We had demonstrated our our capacity and capability to map. So I believe we established a a reputation from that initial mapping effort that then allowed us to expand. Tom Loveland was a a good friend and colleague of a a man named Jim Merchant. Jim and Tom either wrote this proposal together or or Jim wrote it. Um, And they had this brainchild. I mean, I, I I would like to be a, would have liked to have been a fly on the wall to hear them scheme on this because you know this just wasn't being done, and I'm assuming they wrote the proposal in '89 or '90 because the funding came in and I started work in 1991. What kind of foundation did early mapping provide to efforts that continue today at Eros? So a lot of these early mapping efforts led Eros to have an incredibly strong science department. And to perform work that is strongly rooted in user requirements, where we focus on transparency, repeatability, robust accuracy assessment, and continuous improvement of land cover mapping and monitoring. Certainly the LC map that you mentioned, land change monitoring assessment and projection project that took place at Eros started in uh, 2000. 16 and and continued until and and has just wrapped up this year honestly 
is rooted in that foundation. In, in LC map, we focused on change and annual change of land cover across the country. You know, Tom Loveland has said many times, it's not just about cover and one-off mapping, one-time mapping of land cover. It's about determining what change is happening on the landscape, when it's happening, and what are the causes and consequences of those changes. What are some of your favorite memories of land cover work at Eros? Prepping for this podcast has taken me on a trip down memory lane. Some of that's actually emotional for me because these were the jobs that I worked when I first came to Eros, and these were the people that I worked with uh, when I was really starting my career. And the bittersweet part of it, the bitter part of it is, is that we've lost some of these people. Um, the sweet part is how much I really enjoyed that work. It was quite cutting edge. It was very, um, it was full of creativity and experimentation and a lot of camaraderie and teamwork was involved, which I, to this day, I, that's one of the things I enjoy the most about my work here at Arrows is working with smart people. And as I've gotten older, you know, more, more and more, you realize that you need to turn over the, the work to the, the people who are much smarter than you. I also felt very fortunate to work with such giants in the field like Dr. Tom Loveland and Dr. Brad Reed and Dr. Jim Merchant, um, other colleagues, Xiliang Zhu, Dr. Zhu, Don Olin, Dr. Li Min Yang. I mean, I was surrounded by uh, really smart and creative people. It was honestly a really fun time to work in land cover. In those days, the field was so much nearer than it is now. So we felt the pressure to do it right and and to give people the highest quality data that we could. That's not to say that we didn't make many, many mistakes along the way. Um, so it was a learning experience. But an yeah. enjoyable one. Looking back, my predominant memories are positive. Now, you know, sometimes we remember things better than they were, and that's probably a good characteristic. But I honestly feel so fortunate to have been part of these mapping efforts. And and today I feel very fortunate to still be working here with USGS at Eros on, on land cover. Any closing thoughts you would like to share? In closing, I'd like to say this is a still an amazing time in remote sensing and in land cover and, and other um, higher order properties that we can derive from remote sensing data. The world today, um, if you, if you go out into the literature on land cover, uh, for example, you will see hundreds, if not thousands of publications every month. There's many opportunities for people to create their own land cover now that wasn't really possible or wasn't as easy to do back in the 1990s. People have access to different platforms, different cloud uh, cloud uh, processing platforms like uh, Amazon or Google, and a lot more maps are being made. But I guess I would say to people, if you're involved in this, definitely look at the, the earlier research just to keep you on track and, and to remind you what's already been done and to learn from past uh, history. 
Thank you, Jess, for joining us for this episode of Eyes on Earth, where we looked back at early land cover mapping at Eros. And thank you to the listeners. Check out our Eros Facebook and Twitter pages to watch for our newest episodes. You can also subscribe to us on Apple and Google Podcasts. This podcast. This podcast. This podcast. This podcast. This podcast. podcast. Is a product of the U.S. Geological Survey, Department of Interior.